Brothers and sisters, as God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise. We're going to sing together in Thanksgiving, Psalm 100, the verses 1 and 4. given us his law in order to teach us something of his character, also to teach us how to live a life of gratitude to him for the riches of his grace. Let's listen to God's law as it comes to us this morning in Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant or your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant or his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now, Lord Jesus Christ also teaches us this in a summary. It was in Matthew 22 that one of the teachers of the law came to him 
and he wanted to challenge the Lord Jesus Christ. And he asked him, so Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. there he asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The Lord shows us here that, that one of the greatest things that he calls us to is to love him and to, to love one another. As Paul says, love is the fulfillment of God's law. We're going to see in a moment in the sermon that this is, this is really a reflection of the character of God. God invites us to join him in his character, in his dealings with us. Let's now sing together, brothers and sisters. After hearing the law, we're going to make confession of our sins. We're going to sing together from Psalm 25, the verses 4 and 5. Now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, once again this Sunday morning we come to you, Lord, and we do so with so much thanks in our hearts. You are our God, and we are your people. And we've just sung together of your character, Lord. You, the Lord, are good and upright. Love and mercy you will show. A little later we sang that all your paths are love and mercy and faithfulness that never ends for all those who keep his covenant and who honor its demands. And Lord, we know of this love and we know of this mercy. We experience your love over and over again. You're extremely kind in your dealings with us. You've adopted us into your family. You've become our father who cares for us. 
You do a very good job in caring for us. Thank you for the gift that you give us. One of the things we sang about here is the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we hear your law, especially when we think about the calling to love, to love you and love each other, then we realize that we fall short of that. But so often our, our motives and our desires are not motivated by love. So often it's, it's selfishness and it's pride and it's envy and it's covetousness and it's greed and it's lust and it's anger. And Lord, we stand before you with empty hands and we, we plead with you that you would forgive us. Please grant, Lord, that you would show us mercy for Jesus' sake, that you wash away all our evil doing and all the sin and the shame of sin. And we thank you, Lord, that you promised to do this for Jesus' sake. We plead upon the blood of Christ. And we trust that for Jesus' sake, that there will be no more guilt and no more shame. And then, Father, we thank you that we may come together here to hear the preaching of the gospel. We're going to reflect on your character this morning, especially this aspect of your love, that you're a loving God who who has a heart that's filled with kindness and compassion to us. Help us, Lord, to consider your nature and your character. And help us to worship you and to adore you and to be devoted to you and to love you as you have loved us. And then, Lord, we pray that as, as we worship you, we pray that we may become like you. As we stand in awe of your goodness, of your mercy and grace, that, that we also may be people who are filled with goodness and with mercy and with grace. Please allow the fruit of our Lord Jesus Christ to, to come into our lives through the powerful working of your Holy Spirit. Please encourage us through your word as we consider these things. Father, thank you that we may be your people. And thank you that you bring us here in order to remind us of how good you are. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you have the opportunity to serve the Lord for the gifts of his grace towards you. The collection this morning is going to be for the work of the deacons. Then after the collection, we're going to sing together from Psalm 116, verse 1.
Brothers and sisters, the text for this morning is taken from Galatians chapter 5. It's Galatians 5, verse 22, and we're going to look especially at the one fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And in connection with that, I'd like to read two passages of the Scriptures with you. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians 13, and then we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5. So I invite you to open your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So we're going to read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So the context here is that in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul talks about the different fruits of the Spirit, that the Spirit is given in different measure to different people, and that each one of us is, has received different gifts from God that we use for the benefit and well-being of His church. And then he continues in chapter 13, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my gifts to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will pass away, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So far the reading from Corinthians, then we move to Galatians. We're going to read together from Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul has been speaking to the Galatians. He told them, whatever you do, don't try to put your trust in obedience to the law. Don't try to be right with God with being circumcised or following the Jewish feast days. But he says, rather, you need to, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved through faith, by grace. Then in chapter 5, he says that means you're free from the law. And the first verses, he says, that doesn't mean that you use your freedom for 
licentiousness, for doing all sorts of evil things. And then we're going to continue reading in Galatians 5, verse 13. There it says there, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So far, the reading of God's holy word. The text then is, is taken from this chapter from Galatians 5, and it's verse 22, and just the very first part of that chapter, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from Psalm 136, the verses 1, 2, 3, 12, and 13. Well, dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, every once in a while I ask my catechism students, I say, you know, imagine you, you graduate from high school, you go to uni, and, and you meet someone, and they, they find out that you're a Christian, and they ask you the question, who is God? You believe in God, but, but who is this God? I ask my, my students, what would you say? How would you describe God? It's really interesting to hear some of their answers. One of the, the core things they talk about, well, God is a creator. He's the one who made this world. He's the one who made everything. He rules over everything. He has power over all things. He's seated in heaven. He's glorious and powerful, and he looks over all things, and, and he governs everything. And they say, yeah, and, and God is also righteous. He does what's right, and he's holy. He never sins. And he's willing to punish sin. If you sin, then he's willing to punish you for that. And he's also willing to forgive you. He's a God who, who forgives sins. And he's willing to be gracious with you. And then sometimes they, they talk about some of the other attributes of God. He's a holy God. That he is righteous. He always does what's right. He's eternal. He always was. He always will be or he knows everything, there's nothing that, that's outside of his knowledge. 
Does that sound about right? Is that maybe what, what you would say or what one of your children would say? You know, when the students give this answer, it's, it's a beautiful answer. But on another level, it also makes me a little bit sad. Because at core, one of the foundational attributes of God is something they don't talk about. One of the most foundational things about God is that God is loving. He is a loving God. He is a heart that's filled with love for his people. His greatest motive and his ultimate intention in dealing with us is one of love. He loves us dearly. When the Lord revealed himself to Moses, remember the time God comes to Moses first at the burning bush and then a little later on he's, he's on the mountain and he appears to Moses and then at one stage Moses asks him, he says, let me see your face. I want to see you. And the Lord says to him, he says, no one can see me and live. You can't do that. Moses, you're not allowed to see me because you'd be destroyed by my glory and my majesty. But he does say to Moses, he says, you know what? He says, I'm going to hide in the cleft of the rock, hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to put my hand over you. I'm going to pass by and you're going to see my back. And then Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Lord reveals his name to Moses. You want to know who I am, Moses? He says, I will reveal myself to you. And he says there, he says, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sins, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. He doesn't first talk about his holiness. He doesn't talk in the first place about his righteousness or his justice or even his power. In the first place, he talks about his love. He is a God who is merciful, who is gracious, who is slow to anger, who is abounding in steadfast love and true, and who's true to his commitments. Well, these are profound expressions of love. And it's not to say, it's not to diminish the other parts of God's character. It's not saying that his righteousness and his holiness and his justice are less important. You know, in the same breath, the Lord also speaks about those things. But it's really interesting, in, in the Lord's self-declaration of who he is, the first thing he talks about is his love. You want to know me? You want to have a relationship with me? And he says, in the first place, you need to know that I'm a God who loves you. John summarizes it in 1 John 4, verse 16. He says, God is love. Well, you know what it means for us, brothers and sisters? It means that if you believe in Jesus Christ, and if you have the Spirit of God living within you, then the most profound way that reaches expression is that you love as God has loved you. In Galatians 5, Paul teaches us that when the Spirit of God lives in you, that he makes you into a new person. When you believe in Jesus Christ, then Christ lives in you with his Spirit, and he changes your heart, and he renews you. And you become someone who's totally different from who you used to be. 
You're not like that person anymore, but you're a new person. And the most profound way in which that reaches expression in your life is that you become like God is. You become loving as the Lord is. I preach God's word to you with this theme, the fruit of the Spirit is love. We're going to see in the first place the gift of love, and then secondly, the expression of this love. If you want to understand what the, the fruit of the Spirit is, what it looks like for us to love, brothers and sisters, then it's important to first understand the source. What does it look like for God to love? And I thought maybe one of the ways to do that with you this morning, there's many ways in which you could, ex- you could explore that, but I thought one of the good ways to do that this morning is to go back to this self-revelation that God gives in Exodus 34 and to just take it apart with you and to look a little closely, a little more closely at all the different aspects of God's character there. It is in Exodus 34, verse 6, when the Lord reveals his character, then the first place he says that he is a God who is merciful. Well, the Hebrew word, racham, it's a word that means to be merciful, to love or to have compassion. At root, the word really means from, it means someone who's born from the same womb. You are coming from the same mother. You're coming out of the same womb. You have a a brotherly affection. You have a brotherly understanding of the other person. You are someone who is merciful. If you think, for example, of Psalm 103, verse 13, the Lord shows compassion to those who fears him. He has compassion on us because he knows how we are made. He understands that we are dust. He understands the struggles that we have. And he deals kindly with us because of those struggles. When he looks at us and he looks at our frail condition, David says in Psalm 103, that his heart is moved to racham, that he's moved to be merciful to us and to deal gently with us and to be kind in his his care for us and his dealings with us. That's the first aspect of his, his way of dealing with us, brothers and sisters. If someone is merciful to you, if someone takes into consideration your weaknesses, your limitations, and if they're able to deal gently with you and to be kind with you because of who you are and because of the circumstances in which you are, then that's extremely loving. That's a very kind thing that you do for another person. It comes from a sense we're in this together. We come from the same womb. And I'm going to show you mercy because of that. That that's, that's a very loving expression. And that is the nature of your God and his dealings with you. And then if you keep going, maybe I should open my Bible here too to Exodus 34. The next word there, it says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. And the word for gracious, it's chayn. It refers to a heartfelt response by someone who has something to give to another person who is in need. And usually, it's used of God who gives his people redemption from sin or from evil or from their enemies. It's a heartfelt response from one person to give to somebody else who is in need. The Lord looks at us and he sees our need. He sees that we need redemption. We need to be saved from our sins. We need to be saved from our evil. We need to be saved from our enemies. 
and he's moved to, to help us because he sees our need. Well, it's a profoundly loving thing. When you see another person in need, then you don't ignore them, you don't pass them by, you don't let them figure it out by themselves, but you're, you're moved to help them. You are gracious in your dealings with them, and you do whatever it takes to assist them in their circumstances. In the next place, it says there that the Lord is long-suffering. Today, we talk about being, people being patient. The Lord is patient. He is slow to anger. The Lord's not someone who's hot-headed. He doesn't have a temper. It's not as if somebody says something wrong and the Lord gets really mad and he acts right away in in judgment against that person. No, he's long-suffering. He's very patient. He's very slow to anger. He sees something happening and he sees and he, he says, that's not good. And he warns you and he says, don't do that. And he sees it again, and he warns you again, and he says, don't do that. You can't do that. You can't be living that way. That's not good for you. You can't do that. But he's very long-suffering. He gives time, and he gives more time, and he waits, and he waits longer, and he's very patient in his dealings with us. One of the great expressions, if you want to know God's character, then you read about his dealings with his people. Day one, he tells Joshua, he says, whatever you do, don't worship the gods of the nations around you. Judges 2 it says the next generation forgets about the Lord. They forgot all about the Lord. They didn't worship the Lord. They started worshiping Baal and the gods of the nations. And it's not as if, bam, the Lord hits them and comes down on them and judges them and punishes them and says, you're not my people and I'm sending you into exile. I'm bringing the curse on you. He did curse them. He eventually sent their enemies against them and they realized their distress and they came back to him. But the final curse on sin, he told his people, Deuteronomy 28, he says, the final curse is I send you into exile. You are not my people. Well, it took 800 years before he got to that stage. He had 800 years of calling the people to repentance and of raising up men who would bring them back to him and of patiently waiting with them and calling them back. And it's only when they were hardened steadfastly in their rebellion against him that finally he says, okay, then I have no choice. And it gives me no joy, but I am going to bring the curse down and I am going to send you into exile. Well, it's a profound expression of long-suffering. The Lord is a God who is slow to anger, brothers and sisters, and that's a deeply loving thing that he does for us. He is also a God who is abounding in goodness and truth. The word for goodness here, maybe a better translation is steadfast love. This is one of the biggest words in the scriptures, in the Old Testament. It is the word chesed. The Lord is a God who is kindly affectionate towards us and who acts on that kind affection. The nuance there is that he makes a deliberate choice of kindness and affection. He chooses to be kind. He chooses to be affectionate. And he chooses to do that steadfastly. He's filled with steadfast love. And he doesn't do that because we're so good, but he does that because this is his character. This is his nature. This is who he is. When the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, he promised to be kind to him. 
And it is because of this kindness, this chesed, the steadfast love of the Lord, that he showed kindness to Abraham and to his descendants throughout the generations. It's a word that can also be translated as the loving kindness of the Lord. And the ultimate expression of this loving kindness is that when the people rejected him, then he did not reject them. Just as the Lord called Hosea to faithfully love his wife who had been unfaithful to him, so the Lord reveals himself to be a persistent husband whose love reclaims his faithless wife. In Hosea 14, verse 4, the Lord tells us how he makes it happen. He says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. He has healed us from our apostasy by freely showing us his steadfast love. The Lord is also abounding in truth. Or you could translate it, abounding in faithfulness. He is a God who makes promises. And he is a God who keeps his promises. If the Lord gives you his word... You never have to worry that he's tricking you. You never have to wonder if he's going to go back on his word, if he's going to do it different, if he's going to change. Because that is not his nature. He is abounding in truth. He's abounding in faithfulness. He always speaks the truth, and he always is faithful in his dealings with his people. And if you think about that in interpersonal relationships, brothers and sisters, that's one of the most loving things that you can do. You make a promise to your wife that you're going to be true to her forever, and you are true to her forever, in the good days and in the bad, in the riches and the poverty, in the health and the sickness, for as long as you both shall live. Well, you do that. You're true to each other. You're faithful to your promises, and you love each other deeply. And it's especially in the times of sickness, it's especially in the bad days, that that love is tested, and it's proven true because of your faithfulness and because you're true to your word. The Lord is also a God who keeps mercy for thousands and who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And one of the greatest expressions of the love of the Lord is his willingness to forgive us all our sins. He is a holy God. He is just. He's righteous. That's the next line. He says, who will in no means clear the guilty, but visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. But the amazing thing is that because he's so full of love, he's found a way to save us from the punishment that we deserve and to yet express his kindness and his goodness to us. And he's done it by sending his own son, his one and only, the one who shared his character, the one who is one with him to bear the punishment that we deserved. So that instead of we having to bear the punishment for our iniquity and rebellion and sin, that he is willing to bear that for us. Well, the Lord loves you, brothers and sisters. There's no guilt. There's no punishment. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no more shame. Christ takes the shame of your sin upon himself. So you're free. You're totally free. What a profound 
expression of love. You understand that the Lord is loving in his dealings with you? The reason he rescues you from sin and the reason he makes you into a new person is because he loves you. In Ephesians 2 verse 4, the Holy Spirit says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We were dead in trespasses. We were not lovable. There was nothing about us that says, man, God says, wow, I want to pick him, and I want to pick her, and I want to go for a distance with him. There's nothing about us. We were dead in our sins, but it is because of his nature, it's because of the great love with which he loved us that he made us alive, that he redeemed us, that he brought us into fellowship with himself. You know, that expression, or that love reaches expression in so many additional ways, brothers and sisters. We're talking here about the most foundational things. But then on top of that, he puts us into a country where there's peace, where there's a rule of law. He puts us into families where we have parents, where we have children who love us. And we have this, this beautiful community that he's given to us where we can thrive and where we can flourish. He's given us food and drink. He's given us health and shelter and clothing. He's given us a community of brothers and sisters in the church. He's given us everything that we could possibly need. He is a God who is very loving. Well, then I ask you, do you often think about that aspect of God's character? Do you often call it to mind? Do you reflect on that? Do you celebrate his love? Do you treasure that love? You know, if you do that, if you think about that aspect of God's character, and if, you, if that's really important to you, and if that's something that's really dear to you, then that's also going to reach expression in your life. That's going to affect who you are. You become what you worship. That's what God says, Psalm 115. You always become what you worship. And so if you worship God, and if you worship God for his loving nature, then you'll become like that. That's who you'll become. Your nature will be changed to be like him. As you have been loved, so you also love others. You know, it is love that stands at the heart of the Christian faith. We read together from 1 Corinthians 13 a few minutes ago. When you read that passage, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthians there, and he's saying, you have so many spiritual gifts. God has blessed you so richly. You're a church that can do so many different things. But he says, you need to be aware that if you have the wrong spirit, then it's all useless. Then it's meaningless, it's empty, it's nothingness. You can speak in tongues. You can prophesy. You, know, you, can, you can have these great gifts of God. But he says, if you don't do that with love, then you're nothing. And it means nothing. He says, you can be super knowledgeable. You can have a faith that moves mountains. But he says, That's, that stuff means nothing if you don't have love. You can give away all that you have. Or he says, you can... You could even let your body be burned in the fire. But if the motive behind that, if your motive in giving is not love, if your motive in dying is not love, then God says it profits you nothing. It's a waste of a life. It's a waste of gift. 
the core thing that matters is loving, that you love each other. You've received these spiritual gifts, but they're useless if they don't come from a heart of love. And so then he, he calls the Corinthians to love, and he teaches them what that's actually supposed to look like in their lives. But he gets back to that at the end of the chapter. He says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. But when you think about that, brothers and sisters, you realize love is the central part of God's character. Do you understand he intends it to also be the central part of our own characters? Now, the Apostle John, he reflects deeply on the love of God. If you read through his, his letters, 1 John especially, he speaks a great deal about, about the extent and the nature of God's love for us. And in 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8, he says something pretty profound. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If you are loving, it shows that you have been born again, that you are of God, that the Spirit of God is in you. And then John continues and he says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so if you have even all these great spiritual gifts, but if they don't reach expression in a life of love, then at the end of the day, then you don't know God, then you're not born of Him, because this is the foundational way in which His being reaches expression in His people. His character reaches expression in His people. Do you understand then why the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, he says, in the first place, the fruit of the Spirit is love? I'd like to reflect with you on the moment, for a moment, on the, the notion of fruit. It is the fruit of the Spirit that bears forth love. Well, the imagery is that of a tree. And for a tree to bear fruit, the tree needs to mature. And then the fruit that the tree bears is it bears according to the nature of the tree. An orange tree will bear oranges, and an apple tree will bear apples. You will never find fruit on a tree that's external to the nature of the tree. You'll never find things in the life of a Christian that's external to the life of Christ. Well, you will, because we're sinners. But you will also find the nature of Christ in his people. The greatest gift that God can give you is a heart that's filled with love. And you think about it, brothers and sisters, it leads to the richest life. It leads to great joy. It leads to deep relationships. If you love, then you are merciful. You're gracious with your husband or wife. Then you'll seek to understand the child, your schoolmate, who has no friends, you show pity and you show compassion to them. You try to include them because you love them. Boys and girls, when your brother or sister says something that hurts you, then you're slow to anger. You don't act right away. You don't react right away. But you have patience in dealing with your brother or sister. If the Spirit of Christ lives in you, then your natural inclination is to give 
instead of to take, then you let your brother have the bigger piece of cake or you let him jump into the shower ahead of you. You let your friend use your stuff. Brothers and sisters, you show hospitality to others in the church. You open your home to new members who come to worship with us. When the Spirit tells us what love looks like in 1 Corinthians 13, then he mentions all these kinds of things. Love suffers long and is kind, does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. Love is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Paul's contrasting here those who are loving and those who are not. He says proud and boastful people are not loving. That's not loving. If you are proud, if you look down on other people around you, if you're too full of yourself to really care for others, then that's not a loving thing. Well, maybe I could ask you, brothers and sisters, are you proud? Do you think a lot of yourself, your accomplishments, your acquisitions? Do you look down on other people around you? Do you recognize how pride is holding you back? How it undermines your ability to love the people around you? Or in a similar way, greedy and envious people are not loving. That's not a loving thing. They're too caught up in themselves and their own desires and their own wishes to really love and to give to the people around them. Well, maybe I could ask you, how much of your life is focused on material things? When you see what others have, do you ever have a tinge of, of covetousness? Really quite a, a challenge in our time, brothers and sisters, one of the strongholds the devil has in our time is we're a materialistic world and we live in a materialistic society. And it has a profound impact on us. And this past week, maybe I can ask you, you know, who has and how much time have you spent on, on Facebook, on Marketplace, sorry, on Gumtree, thinking about buying other things and thinking about decorating or renovating or new cars or new boats or new whatever. But love does not envy. Love is not selfish. It's the opposite. It's kind. And the word for kindness here, it refers to providing something beneficial to another person. Somebody said it once this way. They said, to love is to give. That's a very biblical thought. When you love, then you give. You're not greedy, you're not envious, you're not covetous, but you're generous and you give to others. It's profoundly loving. Paul continues by talking about selfish people who insist on their own way or who are rude towards others. And he says that's not loving. They're not being kind or generous, they're in it for themselves. Well, maybe I can ask you, are you ever rude? you ever insist on things being your way? Sometimes that happens in a marriage. It's a pattern of relating husband and wife have in marriage. They're inconsiderate. 
They're rude in their dealings with each other. Sometimes they say things that are just downright mean towards each other. They insist on going their own way. They don't care about the impact that their actions have on the other person. Well, Paul says that's not loving. That's not what you do. That's not how you live. That's not how we live as the people who, of God who have the Spirit of God within us. And the same thing happens with children. You get to see each other really up close and you get to know each other well. And children can be so selfish. It's all about them. They can be very rude in their dealings with each other. Well, if you love, then you treat each other very differently. Then you're considerate of each other. You do that especially with the people who you're closest to. We care about them. On a daily basis, we give of ourselves for their best interest. And it's a profoundly powerful way of living. It's a beautiful way of living. If your heart is is filled with love for the people who are closest to you, then instead of there being this constant flow of tension and anxiety and distress, then your home, then your marriage, then your family, it becomes this place where there is a flow of peace and of joy and of rest. Love leads to an awesome life. That is the gift of God that he wishes to give you. Paul says in verse 6 that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. If people do wrong, if people do evil, it's never a loving thing. And it never leads to good ends. It's always destructive. And the reason for that is because God's law is a revelation of his character. He reveals who he is. And so if you, if you disobey his law, if you commit evil, if you do what's, what's against his law, then it leads to great destruction. It's never a kind thing in your dealings with others. But if you walk in the truth, if you do what's good instead of what's evil, that's a great expression of love. And then Paul talks about how love reaches expression in interpersonal relationships, especially when there's conflict. Love is not irritable and resentful. Now, sometimes people irritate us. Instead of being slow to anger, sometimes we're people who get mad really fast. We blow up at others. Or sometimes we internalize that we have this, cold, this coldness towards others. We become suspicious of them and we hold them off. Well, if you have resentment in your heart, brothers and sisters, that's not loving. That doesn't come from the Spirit of God. It means that you're upset. God says you need to let go of your anger. You need to give it over to him. In contrast, Paul says that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. God is extremely patient with us. He's extremely loving in his dealings with us. He bears with us almost forever. Now he says, this is the way that I call you to deal with each other. Probably the place where he puts the sharpest point on it in the Bible is in Luke 6. It's in verse 27 there. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from, the, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. 
But what an incredible calling, brothers and sisters. It seems impossible for us to ever do that. To give and to do good and to look after those who abuse you and hate you and steal from you. But you know, it's not impossible. This is the way that God treated us. Luke continues in verse 35, he says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. He is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. It was when we were ungodly, when we were sinners, when we were his enemies, when we were opposed to him. God says in Romans 8, that's when he sent his son into the world to die for us and to redeem us. God loved us even though we are very unlovable. And by loving us, he changed us. He makes us understand what it means to love. And as we have been loved, we now desire to love the people around us. And the result, brothers and sisters, is peace and is unity. Where love rules, there's harmony and there's blessing. Love brings husbands and wives together. Even though we're sinners who live in intimate relationship with each other, all our ugliness is on full display. But if you love, then you overcome that. You can be patient. You can bear with each other. You can forgive one another. If you have love in a family, then there's peace and there's stability. There's safety. Well, when the children grow up in that kind of home, maybe not when they're younger, because everything is too much chaos, but when they get a little older, you have these long dinners where you sit around and you have to talk and you have to share. And you just love each other's company. And you love being in each other's presence. That's where children thrive. That's where there's a lot of laughter. If you have love in a church, then there's peace and then there's harmony. And people like to hang out together and they chat and there's all this conversation that happens after church. And they enjoy spending time with each other and being with each other. And then this church becomes this little light post in a dark world. We shine a little bit of the love and the grace and the kindness of God in a world that's devoid of any of that. And then when people around us, when they experience that through us, they get to experience that in our dealings with others at work. And they get to see that. And then they come into the communion. And they get to understand. They get to experience something of what it looks like to be sitting, sitting there and having dinner with a family where there's peace and there's unity. And it just blows them away. Because they've never had anything like that. They, did, they don't know what that looks like. They don't know what that means. And they join a communion of the saints. And they experience the love of God's people. They experience the love of the Lord that's expressed through his people. And it's heart-changing. It's something that binds them to the Lord. Where they love him. And where they wish to express that love towards others. 
You know, young people, maybe a little word for you. The same thing happens in interpersonal relationships. Sometimes it happens that you're a young person, you want to find a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You think that if you're super smart or really athletic, whatever the case may be, that maybe somebody will notice you. Well, I'd suggest to you there's something even far more powerful, and that's being really loving. If you are really loving, you become a beautiful person. You're beautiful on the inside. And then everybody's attracted to that. If you're full of love, and everybody wants to be with you. They want to share with you, and they want to spend time with you, and they want to hang out with you. This is the way God made it. He is a loving God. And it says we, as we know him, and as we, we understand his nature, that we're attracted to him. And we want to be with him. We want to spend time with him. We want to grow close to him. And it says we do so that his character gets reflected in us. Well, can I ask you, brothers and sisters, once more the question I asked at the beginning? I asked you the question, how well do you know the Lord? Do you understand how much he loves you? Do you understand his grace, his mercy, his compassion, his kindness towards you? He is full of good gifts. The greatest gift he's given you is the gift of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, think often of what he's done for you and thank him for it and worship him for being a loving father and ask him to give you eyes to see the extent of his love within your life and then build your life on that love. And when you sin, then go back to him and confess it. Quickly, quickly go to the throne of grace and lay it before him and know that he is merciful and that he is gracious and he'll wipe it away and he'll clean your slate and he'll take away the shame and he'll celebrate to have you in his presence again. It is in Psalm 147 verse 11, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. He delights in you when you put your hope in his unfailing love. The truth is, our lives are often a mess. We have our own characters, our own foibles, our own besetting sins, our tendencies to pride and selfishness and greed and covetousness and even outright rebellion. And God says, I'll forgive it all. I'll wipe it all away and I'll continue with you because I love you. And if you don't have it in yourself to do it, brothers and sisters, if you find it hard, then look to your Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus lived that kind of life. He loved God with all his heart. And as he loved, he's able to live in your heart and to do it for you. The reason that thousands of people gathered around him, they wanted to be with him, they wanted to listen to him, they wanted to touch him, they wanted to hear what he had to say, is because they, they experienced his love. They understood that he loved them and that he cared deeply for them and he's willing to do whatever they needed. He was filled with compassion for them. He was filled with kindness 
He was filled with grace and with mercy. He includes the social outcasts. He heals the sick. He casts the demons out of people. He spoke the truth. He taught them who God is. He led them close to God. He helped them to understand the important things in life. Ultimately, he gave his life for them. And he gave his life for us. He has loved us with an enduring love. So look to him in faith and ask that his spirit would live in you and that his love would be reflected in your life. It is your father's joy that you love as he loved you. Amen. Let's now sing together of this love, brothers and sisters. We're going to sing from Psalm 136, the verses 1, 2, 3, 12, and 13. sisters, the consistory has several announcements. The consistory will meet the Lord willing on Tuesday evening at 7.30 p.m. And secondly, a baptismal attestation has been received from the Free Reformed Church of West Albany for Brother Hugh Brown. We welcome our brother into our congregation. In the third place, we've heard the news that the Free Reformed Church of Southern River has extended a call to Reverend S. Hart, who's currently serving as the minister in Melville, and finally, it's with great joy to our Heavenly Father who guides all things that the Church of Comet Bay can report that Reverend Klein successfully completed his colloquium in Classes Southwest 
and he's been granted approval for his installation into their congregation. The Lord willing, his installation will take place on March the 3rd in the morning worship service. Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we praise you that you are a God who is loving. We praise you, Father, that you're a God who is gracious and merciful, who's slow to anger and who's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You have an incredible character, God. We honor you because you're compassionate in your dealings with us, because you're kind, because you're considerate of us and our circumstances. You understand our weakness. You understand our limitations, and you're willing to be kind in your dealings with us. We stand in awe of you because you're a giving God, because you love to give of yourself for the well-being of others. You never expect anything in return, but at core it is your, your nature to love and to give and to encourage. You've done that at root by giving what's most precious to you. You've given your one and only son in order to restore us in a relationship with you. Father, thank you that you demonstrated your love for us in sending Christ to die on the cross. And thank you that we can be assured of your love. Thank you also that you offer to forgive us all our sins and not to hold any guilt against us, that there is no condemnation that we bear, but for Jesus' sake, you will wipe the the slate clean and you will look on us in mercy. Father, we thank you that as you have loved us, that you also equip us to love you and to love others. We thank you that when we believe in our Lord Jesus Christ and when we look to him in faith, when we trust him to be our Lord and Savior, that for his sake you will send your spirit into our lives and you will renew us to become like Jesus. Dear Father in heaven, we pray that you would work powerfully in us with your Holy Spirit that we may be deeply loving. Help us to love you with all our hearts. Help us to flee from all idolatry and put it far away from us. Help us to trust you, to realize that you are God and that you will care for us, that you'll look after us and that everything will work out for us. Help us, Father, also to to love the people around us, especially those who are closest to us, that we can be patient with our husband or wife, that we can be gentle in our dealings with each other, that we're willing to forgive one another, that we can be kind, and that we can carry each other. Father, please give us a spirit of compassion. Please help us to reach out to each other and look after each other. Grant that we're able to do so also as as children, as brothers and sisters, that we're able to not be rude and irritable and seeking blame, but rather, Lord, grant that we're, we're able to be patient and kind and to be gracious with one another. Lord, you're an incredible God. And it's amazing to live this kind of way. And we pray that that you would help us for Jesus' sake and with the Spirit of Christ so that we may give expression to this in our marriages, in our families, in our church, in our our businesses, in our relationships with, with co-workers and with others. Grant, Lord, that we may be a beacon of love, that our hearts can be filled with love for you and others. Thank you so much, Lord, that that you're willing to to carry on with us. Please bless our congregation then, that we can love one another dearly from the heart, that we're able to show that in our dealings with each other. Please give us patience. Please destroy all the pride that is within us. Help us never to be proud in our dealings with each other. 
that we don't try to prove that we're right and prove others wrong. We don't try to show how good we are and show how bad others are, but rather give us great, great patience, great humility, great love for each other. Thank you, Lord, that, that you're willing to do this. Thank you that we may experience this, that there can be so much peace and joy and harmony and love within our families and church and within our community. Lord, we pray then that you'd also bless us on this day. We ask, Father, that you grant that we can have a beautiful day together. Please encourage us also this afternoon when we hear the proclamation of your word. We're grateful, Lord, for the faithful ministry of Reverend Anderson, and we want to pray for a blessing over him. Grant that he may continue to faithfully preach and teach to bring your word to us and encourage us to know you and to walk closely with you. And then, Father, we also want to ask for a blessing over Reverend Quine. We're so thankful to hear the news that, that he's sustained his colloquium, that he's able to be installed into office, the Lord willing, on the 3rd of March. And we pray, Lord, for your blessing over that. Grant that he can take up his work in the congregation, that your people can be encouraged through his ministry, that there can be great faith and great love, and that your church would thrive. Father, thank you that you raise up men who are able to serve as ministers. And thank you that that the churches, that our churches here in Australia can be solely ble so blessed through that. We pray that you would continue to raise up young men to serve in the ministry of the gospel. We ask that in this way that we may also be served so that we too can, can have faithful preachers among us. Dear Father in heaven, we pray that you would please also accept our thanks for all the other blessings that you have given to us. Thank you that, that we're able to have a collection for the needy we want to pray for your blessing over those in our congregation who have needs. Lord, it's so beautiful that this may be an expression of your love towards your people, that we never have to worry that we're on our own and that no one loves us and no one will care for us. Because you will. You've instituted your people to do so. And so we're, we're thankful for the work of the deacons. We pray, Lord, also through their ministry, that the love and the unity of the congregation may be built up. Please accept our thanks. Please accept our worship. Please hear our prayer and please do it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, in closing, you're invited to rise and we're going to sing together from hymn 79, the verses 1 through 5.
Receive now the blessing of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.